Our text this morning is um, from the Old Testament reading in Zechariah 9. Um, like I would like to uh, remind you of verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. This is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, prisoners. It seems to be at the forefront of, uh, of the thoughts of Zechariah uh, as God brought these things to his mind. I, I, um, I know that uh, a handful of you have been exposed to prisoners in jails from one experience or another. And um, I, I had noticed, and, and this may not be at all obvious, I suppose it isn't, but uh, when prisoners are in jail for a while, they, well, it's like human beings always are, they, they become accustomed to the culture of the place and the way things are done there, and, uh, and they become more comfortable with it over time. Uh, in my experience with them, it, it, it happens to be uh, that, that they have trouble readjusting going outside because they're used to the inside culture after such a time. Uh, and then being outside, uh, even if they want to do what they're supposed to do, they go back to their homes and back to the environment where they got in trouble in the first place. And they're dysfunctional there. Uh, it's, as has been already proven in many cases, and having the freedom, having been released from their prison, they, uh, in their dysfunction, they become often criminals again, and then they get stuck back into the prison culture, which seems so odd to us, but that just seems to be the way things go. It's not always the truth, but it is often. Now, when, when Zechariah wrote down this divine prophecy for us to see. Uh, it wasn't just for us, obviously. It was for Israel. And Israel was in exile in Babylon. So this is really just a little after uh, the exile began. And of course, going into exile, uh, it was uh, very much like being in, in a prison circumstance because they they went to another land, to a different culture. They were uh, not always enslaved, but they were certainly oppressed to keep them in order. Uh, and um, that was their difficulty. They weren't allowed to go home. So uh, what happened is they, they, you know, they were there for a pretty long time. Uh, Seventy years is the number that scripture gives us. And as it turns out, they were concerned because uh, they knew that if they, if they were going to go home, uh, that they would be at risk again for becoming uh, the sinners that got them stuck in exile in the first place. I mean, they knew that the, that was the problem. They were disobeying God. They were oppressing each other. They were corrupt. They were allying themselves with foreign gods and peoples, and it got them into trouble with God because they stopped listening to him. They were afraid all that was going to happen again. And, of course, it did. It took them a little time to get around to it in the, uh, the kind of degree that, you know, might have been greatly difficult. But 
they, they knew that they hadn't changed yet. They understood that there was regret, and they understood about repentance, and they understood being restored, but they, they couldn't change, not enough. So what they ended up doing, and by the time you get over to Jesus' time, you've got this problem where they are convincing themselves that what they're doing is enough for God, uh, if not perfect in itself, because they were concerned that they were going to have trouble with him again. And they didn't want that, so they went into a sort of denial, and it caused them trouble. Now, you're not really any different from them that way. Um, you know you're sinners, confessed it already. This is not a great mystery to you. But even knowing that you sin a great deal against God, and you know that this is true, because as I said, you've already confessed that you are uh, sinning against God and sinning against the people that you're with every day, and you don't often think of it seriously. It just sort of goes by in life. Now, when you're here, you take a little harder look at it. But even here, it's sort of a relaxed concern because uh, you also have forgiveness standing in front of you. So it just kind of goes by in unconscious concern to a very great extent unless something big, very bad happens to be the case for you when you see and you cannot deny the, the, the bad stuff that you do, then, then you actually have to pay attention to it. But you are, in the meantime, functionally prisoners of what you do, with mostly uh, without thinking about God or what he thinks of what you're doing or about controlling yourself. It's, it's, it kind of all goes by. It's actually worse when you think about it first. <laughs> Because if you think about it first and you do it anyway, then you really can't deny much, not even to yourself. Then you end up being prisoners in every sense to that inner corruption. You are prisoners of your sin. You're prisoners of death because that's what follows on sin. Prisoners of hell and every imaginable motion of justice from your God. Even though you have internalized the notion of forgiveness, you still return to your sin. Now, if, if you're like Israel in the time of Zechariah, you really only have a couple of choices because it looks like it's not going to change. So you can either try to be in denial and convince yourself that everything is okay, or you have to hope that something else happens to fix it for you. Uh, Israel was justly due its exile and imprisonment from Jerusalem and its temple. They couldn't go there either. It was torn down and that was their divine access to forgiveness. It was almost like it was specifically ripped away from them so they'd have to pay attention to their sinfulness. But it was, it was granted that they were able to return to Jerusalem. That was the first thing that happened. And they got this new freedom and, and trust from their God, which they were confused about, I think. And it didn't necessarily uh, fix all their problems. But then if you go down through the years, a few hundred years, there was then this greater 
reception into Jerusalem of their righteous king, who, as it turned out, was Jesus, the son of David, the son of God. And I'm talking about Palm Sunday. I mean, this text is also used on Palm Sunday. Maybe that language is reminding you of it a little. And Jesus came into Jerusalem that way. Of course, then there's yet another fulfillment of this because our king is going to come to us in the clouds in all power and glory. And, and then uh, there is going to be an even greater parade of sorts. After all the endless penchant for sin that Israel had in this particular day, you'd expect that the visitation of their king to be for conquest or for destruction. But if you look at what happened with Jesus when he came into Jerusalem that day, the thing that Zechariah is reminding us of, even though it hadn't happened for him yet, he knew it was coming. You have an open and obvious love of God that is not after conquest and destruction, but reconciliation with his people. And even though people were confused about that, it took some time. By the end of the week, they were pretty angry with him if, if they weren't just passively wondering why he wasn't doing what they hoped he would do. He, his reconciliation became obvious by his blood. And that, this is what Zechariah is talking about, this blood covenant, the blood of my covenant. That's what he says. This is what we have in our words of institution. You can see that that comes at the cross. That's what he's doing there. And it's not only for Israel, obviously, even though Zechariah is talking about it as being for them, it's for you. Just like Israel, you are free in Christ's blood. Prisoners no more. Free from the penalty and the prison that sin is. Free in the gracious gift of the eternal hope of a place in heaven. These things are yours. Jesus didn't wait for you to stop sinning. You see, you know, it's always kind of a weird thing because if you think that you got to get it right for Jesus to pay any attention to you, well, that's a little strange because he specifically comes when everybody's still sinning. It hasn't stopped all the way from Adam up until his time. And, of course, as it turns out, just like Israel, going back to Jerusalem after 70 years, they were free, but they were still sinning. And it didn't stop, and it hasn't stopped yet. But Jesus didn't wait for you to stop sinning. He came because you couldn't stop sinning, and he bought your freedom with his own blood, with his own death, by his own cross, by his own sacrifice by his own resurrection from that tomb and finally with the free gift of faith by the Holy Spirit to believe all these things you have been given the name child of God all of this by what Jesus has done and all of this forever yours in him down there in verse 12 when everything seems to be resolving, he calls the people that are in Babylon in exile prisoners of hope, which is kind of a weird thing to call somebody, but the hope they have is that their return would be 
coming soon and that Christ would come soon and that their eternity would be safe. He says, he says to them, return to your stronghold, which is what they wanted. The stronghold of Jerusalem was what they were thinking. A safe place, a protected place, which it wasn't yet. They had to rebuild all of that. But Christ is your tower. Christ is your fortress, your strength, your refuge. Christ is that. The question for them was, how do I get back to Jerusalem for Babylon? The question for us is, how do I end my prisoner status and be free? And the answer is the same. You escape sin's prison by the blood of Christ. You can do it. They couldn't get home. You can't escape sin. You can't survive death by yourself. But with Christ, you can. It says in that same sentence, I declare that I will restore to you double. Well, Christ is your restoration. Because, you know, the first restoration is off to Jerusalem. The second restoration is Christ entering that kingdom for the last time and to bring you peace in his blood, in his rising, and in the eternal hope that you have. God has done this thing. God has restored you in Christ's blood, children of God, and eternally hopeful of the kingdom to come. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.